lottery ever make you happy? The answer, perhaps, uh, to that question coming up, it could make me happy. But for reasons that are particular to me in my strange life, I think. Um, But most people, it makes miserable. I know. It's amazing, isn't it? For one, you would be able to uh, make donations to the Marianne Williamson campaign enough to get her onto the debate stage again. Oh, she'd be on that stage, man. And that would make you very happy. I would start my own major polling organization. I'd hire the best pollsters. I would put out like 10 polls in a week. I would become one of the best polling organizations in America and then I would fix my polls so that she was always at the top of them to get her back on the stage. <laughs> You've anticipated my dream, Sean. You really have. Um, oh, speaking of politics, just quickly, our, our friend David Drucker from the Washington Examiner um, wrote a really good piece. Uh, it came out over the weekend about how Joe Biden is so shaky and how so many of his supporters are worried and or realizing, uh-oh, major donor has abandoned Biden. And one of the things David reminded me of, and if you didn't watch the debate, number one, good call. Live your life. Enjoy your friends, your family, the pleasures. Read a good book. Watch a friggin' game show, whatever, and then let us watch it for you, and we'll bring you the highlights. Anyway... When Kamala was hammering uh, old Joe Biden on allegedly being like anti-immigration in schools, which is idiotic. I mean, it's laughable. Joe Biden's, you know, been trying as hard as he can civil rights wise, you know, imperfectly. But, you know, he's 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 tried. So she's trying to make him into some sort of supporter of racism. But um, he he started into what David characterizes as a vigorous defense of his long history of supporting civil rights legislation. But then as his, uh, his light on his little lectern thing there, uh, everybody calls it a podium these days. And I guess I'll go along with it. Podium is actually something you stand on, but it doesn't matter. Um, so the light goes on in his podium, and he's like halfway through his rebutting the idea that he's a closeted Klansman. And he sees that light go on, and he says, and furthermore, I have, oh, I see my time's done. And then just stands there. Like a cigar store Indian, which may be racist, and, and and doesn't finish defending himself against an attack that could ruin his entire campaign. And and listen, I don't know. And, and listen, I know people well into the seventies who are sharper than I am. I know people in their sixties who are definitely uh, past their prime. You know, it varies person to person. But Joe was sitting there at a critical moment. Having not noticed, I guess, that everybody else, including Marianne Williamson, was running roughshod over the slow, the uh, warning and stoplights. Everybody else was being an utter ball hog. But Joe, and listen, maybe you appreciate his gentlemanliness, but he's in the middle of deflecting the whole, you were against busing of little black girls who just wanted to learn. And he just stopped because his time was up. So anyway, um, he man, he has peaked and he's plunging. I, I listen. I've been wrong before, plenty of times, uh, but I would be utterly shocked if he stages a comeback. Um, my time's up. I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I would rebut the charge that I'm a closet racist, but my time is up. So, my time's up. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. Kind of sad. Anyway. 
A couple of uh, brief notes from uh, the state of Cal Unicornia. Uh, first of all, we got this uh, note from lo- loyal listener Dennis, who is watching a uh, local news station that reported that 20% of the children in corrupt California go to bed hungry, and about one in s- six of people in California doesn't know where their next meal is coming from. It's the epidemic of food insecurity. Now, next to the alleged rides and hate crimes in America, this is the phoniest statistic you have ever heard in your life. First of all, that statistic came to the news organizations through the California Association of Food Banks, who are funded by the perception that there's a serious food crisis. And listen, the people at food banks, to me, they're doing God's work. Because there are people who need food. And so, listen, I'm not down on you food bank people. In fact, again, I congratulate you on the cleverness of your scam. You're able to convince newsreaders, mindless, pretty, straight-toothed, big-breasted, square-jawed, dyed-haired newscasters, to repeat your utterly fictional statistics. So, good on you. I'm assuming you are describing a broadcast team in that description and not a singular person. Almost certainly. uh, Oh, oh. Square-jawed, large-breasted, <laughs> square-toothed, large muscle. Well, I don't know. Some of the guys are... a dress with a jacket. Right, exactly. It's a terrible look. I mean, I I, I have a problem with the phrasing, because I technically don't know where my next meal is going to come from. It could be the vending machine. I could go to, you know, get some get some food deliveries That's that we were point. talking about. Maybe go to the store. Who knows? It's on my way home. I might stop. But so that whole, the food insecurity statistic is hilariously phony. Have you, at any point in the last year, even once, thought you might have to skip a meal? Even once, because you didn't have food. Or couldn't get the food. That was partly true when I was a it, it happened semi-regularly as a teenager, especially when I was a young teen before I started working. A, I was very, very busy, and B, I didn't have a lot of money. And so, you know, like if I had baseball practice then had to go to work, I would have to steal food off the plates of the diners that I was bussing their tables. And I don't, I'm not listening, I'm not looking for any sympathy. This is not a woe is me thing. That's fine. The grub was actually pretty good. <laughs> um... But so I would have been listed as food insecure, which then is just tweaked a little bit to hungry. One in six Californians is hungry. That's absolutely not true. It is absolutely not true. But the newsreaders just read it because it sounds dramatic. And they're dumb. And a lot of them couldn't think their way out of a paper bag. But they're pretty. And they speak reasonably clearly. Um. You know, we got a bunch of audio from one of their fundraisers, I guess. There's yeah. uh, Mel Gibson utterly defining the term hangry. <laughs> um, you know, I don't know. Are we in the mood for uh, the bum explosion? Probably not. You got that? Uh, <laughs> did, did I already give you the thing about renting a friend? For <laughs> Yeah, that just made me sad. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, I did want to talk a little bit. That's right. The other Cal Unicornia story was now you got to do a background check to buy ammunition in California. You want to buy a little box of nine uh, millimeter slugs or whatever to go practice. You got to do a background check, which, I mean, costs you a dollar. And essentially, they click around at some website to see whether you're a murderer. 
But then they take down your name and your address and the rest of it. And it's just, it's mostly just tiring. And and you can't order ammunition online if you want to go practice or whatever. You have to show up to a gun store to get it. Um, and it's just, it's so idiotic and so annoying just because for the umpteenth time, like so many gun control measures, it's an inconvenience for law-abiding citizens who will jump through these hoops. The vast majority of fatal gun violence is is gangbangers. It's it's people with a personal beef in in various urban areas, um, and I mean your 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 gangs. I mean, I certainly hope that the gangs don't think of I don't know getting a straw buyer to drive to Nevada or Oregon or Arizona or whatever, um, or or hell Mexico. Can you buy ammo in Mexico and bring it across the border? I don't actually know that. I've never tried, but. Um, I hope they never think of that. Oh, that's all right. Uh, that they've already done it, even though the law just went into effect today. There are even now straw buyers going across the state lines to buy ammunition, um, and it's just so tiresome. I don't know. I don't know. It's virtue signaling, I guess. Uh, one, uh, that's kind of long. Yeah, I tell you what. On a cheerier note, is it a cheerier note? It's a somewhat cheerier note. Um, oh, yeah, I did this one. It's, it's short and it's so smart. I wanted to share it with you about the West Coast bum explosion, which is now the, the, the coast to coast bum explosion, because more and more cities are falling for the idea that we need to offer more and more services to bums and junkies. Not the legitimately unfortunate, mentally ill, physically handicapped um, types, but bums and junkies. Uh, got this point made by Chris who is listening to uh, his favorite uh, podcast of, of spiritual and practical issues. And they made the point that far from being impoverished, a perpetually high junkie is actually choosing an incredibly luxuriant lifestyle. Now, granted, you're outdoors, you're in a tent or what have you, but you're not working, you're getting high all the time. I mean, that's a pretty luxuriant lifestyle. And... It's important for Catholics and others of goodwill, writes Chris, because it means that the faux compassion in the form of government dollars that the left loves so much is completely misplaced. If these people were legitimately impoverished, then we would have a moral obligation to help them financially in some way. But in some ways, these bums are actually living a more sensually comfortable life than you are going off to bust your butt at work every day. So who's unfortunate? I thought that was a pretty good point. Man, any addiction counselor, every addiction counselor will tell you don't be an enabler. Don't make excuses for your junkie or your drunk loved one. Don't uh, cover for him at work. You're just helping him be a junkie. That's the point being made here. This is the misplaced compassion. It's terrible. It's a bad idea. So is it even possible the lottery will make you happy? I'm absolutely convinced it would make me happy. You, I'm not so sure about. We'll talk about that next. Armstrong and Getty. Show. 
Grizzly bringing the equipment back inside the studio so we can close the soundproof door and continue on the show. The air conditioner is out. It's got one of those fun, like, accordion-style crinkly tube things. I love those things. Those are enjoyable in a pinch. Sean grew up so poor he wished he had a slinky. All he had was some crinky tube, crinkly tube that he stole from a construction site. Speaking of money... This is not the, uh, I could have teased this story better, and I apologize. If you tuned out thinking that sounded stupid, I apologize to you. Uh, It's a story about the lottery making you happy or not happy, but it's more than the idiotic, oh, I'd be happy, or the now kind of certainly well-worn argument of perhaps my co-host Jack that, no, most people are made miserable by it. Uh, It talks about the sweet spot of winning. And, it, you know, it's funny. It's part of me. I'm thinking about this. How to be happy if you win the lottery. Why don't we talk about what to do if you're hit by lightning? Die is one chance. One to suggest die. Or your other thing is your heart continues beating and you live. I mean, so and it's about as likely as winning the lottery. But it's not all doom and gloom. I've thought about this a lot, which really is a complete waste of time. I've always thought that clearing about $20 million is the right amount. They, they, these financial pros got together and ran a bunch of numbers, and they came up with a number thirty million after taxes. So it's like a hundred million dollar jackpot, because you get sixty, fifty, sixty percent of it if you go with the immediate instead of the annuity. Depends on which lottery you're you're playing. So let's not get hung up on that. But and then you're going to get hammered with taxes, because the government who had that money in the first place deserves a cut of it for giving it. Back to you. Well, that's interesting. Anyway, I want to. Uh, so uh, $30 million after taxes, which means you could live uh, for about a million dollars a year. You could spend a million dollars a year uh, for the rest of your life with very little risk ever running out of money because with interest and investments or whatever, that $30 million would grow pretty substantially. Um. And it's extremely unlikely you would outlive your money. So that's kind of nice. But then they get into all sorts of different studies. 2006 British study compared the impact of medium-sized lottery wins um, and, and how happy people reported being. And medium-sized was between like two grand and 200 grand. That's a hell of a range. Yeah. I win 200 grand, I'm a heck of a lot happier than if I win two grand. There's, there's month-changing and life-changing dollar amounts in that range right right you win two grand two grand you buy yourself a nice uh couch you've been you win 200 girl you buy yourself a nice house anyway after two years the medium prize winners still showed notably showed notably higher mental health well-being than the rest of the test subjects winners have more stress in the first year taxes paperwork long lost friends and relatives coming forward but less stress subsequently and that's one of the main takeaways from this so like a rhythmic american poet biggie small said mo money mo problems yeah yeah hint number 1 and remember this even if again like getting hit by lightning it's not likely to happen number one thing you do and remember this you keep your mouth shut it's like yeah, you know. It's like your neighbor came after you. You kill him. You bury him in the backyard. You don't say a thing. This is sound advice. No, seriously. You win, shut up. Tell no one. No one. 
Tell your spouse. I assume you have a healthy and loving relationship. Tell your spouse. Tell him or her you're going to shut up. And make sure they shut up shutting up. Tell them right after you've updated your prenup. Easy. (laughs) Then you get yourself a lawyer. But they mention that a lottery win disrupts identity, and it takes a year or two to develop a new one. Here's the stressful part. Every single relationship changes. People either want money from you, or they start being nicer to you, and you think, wait a minute, why are you doing that? Or you go out to eat, and it's weird, because are you supposed to pay all the time because you got more money than God? And I also think there's a weird dynamic where if... If a friend of mine was starting a company and had been working hard for five years and then one day got noticed by the right startup and got purchased for $5 billion and he was all of a sudden a millionaire, right? Right. When when I see his work turn into money, all of a sudden I think that has a different effect than when my friend falls into money without doing anything. Like, you didn't earn that. Come on, spread it. Come on, give me some. Right, you lucked into it. Yeah, you lucked into it. Why are you being greedy with it? I I, could see that. And then then you've got the hedonic treadmill. Oh, the hedonic treadmill. you got to hear about the hedonic treadmill. you put an incline on that? Right after, you can. Marshall's uh, headlines. Hong Kong police moving in on the protesters. They are vowing they'll use all force necessary, and Russia about to launch... The country's going down the crapper. That what Archie Bunker said? Often. I don't. I don't think it is. Often. We have challenges. Often. Marshall Phillips has a list of those challenges. It's news time. Well, actually, I'll tell you, the big <clears throat> challenge coming down right now is in Hong Kong. Police are advancing toward the legislature, the Hong Kong legislature, to clear protesters who have occupied the building. The police announcing they plan to clear it out after it was taken over by the uh, group of demonstrators. They're saying on a Facebook announcement uh, tonight that they would clear the area in a short period of time and warned they would use appropriate force if they encounter resistance. Mm. So the police are moving in. Dictating isn't the easiest game. So old Xi Jinping is trying to figure out right now, okay, obviously we need to crack down hard enough that we get less of this stuff. Or <clears throat> just we let the energy dissipate and then crack down while everybody's guards are down. So he's trying to figure out how hard to push right now. And gosh, I can't even guess. I mean, man, if they allow this much dissent and word gets back to the mainland and, and they're actually, you know, stiff armed into, you know, backing down, could be very bad for them. On the other hand, if they were to go nuts and like arrest 500 people or, or kill 100 or, right. or whatever, which is certainly, you know, nothing for the Chinese communists to do. Um, then, you know, they've scores in too hard, and I think Hong Kong slips out be- be- between their fingers, as the old saying goes. Man, I'm going to wait and see on this one. It could is, be ugly, though. Uh, is there a chance that this leads to some sort of, like, two-front economic war on China with the trade deal and then their internal dispute going on that would make them more likely to come to a, an agreement because, hey, we need to we need to figure out our own place first. Let's let's get a deal in place that, that's good enough for now. Am, am I making sense? Yeah, yeah. It's I doubt anything like that could happen, honestly. Okay. China's got too much control of, of too many things in Hong Kong. 
Meanwhile, ahead of his historic visit to the demilitarized zone in the handshake with North Korea's Kim Jong-un on Sunday, President Trump wrapped up his two days of diplomacy at the G20 summit, where he met with a number of world leaders, including China's President Xi. Trump saying that uh, he has agreed not to impose any new tariffs on Chinese exports. He also called Xi a brilliant leader. Trump saying, in turn, the U.S. farmers will benefit from his trade talks with China. And China is going to be buying a tremendous amount of uh, food and agricultural product. And they're going to start that very soon, almost immediately. We're going to give them lists of things that we'd like them to buy. And along with that, the president says he's had a change of heart as far as tech giant Huawei goes. We send and, and we sell to Huawei a tremendous amount of a product that goes into the various things that they make. And I said that that's okay, that we will keep selling that product. Yeah, I, we can sell that stuff to Huawei, and they can sell our, their junk around the globe, but we cannot let them be part of any of our, our Internet networks. We can't have right. any government employees using their phones. They are just, it's, it's a gigantic spy network waiting to happen. Chinese communist spy network, so... He better not back down from that national security stuff. I don't think he will. But Iran is now saying it has surpassed the limit on its stockpile of low-enriched uranium set by the 2015 nuclear deal with world powers. Their state-run uh, Erna News Agency quoted the foreign minister making the announcement. The deal limited Iran to 300 kilograms of uranium enriched up to 3.67%. President Trump withdrew the U.S. from the nuclear deal last year and restored heavy economic sanctions on Iran. And as Joe pointed out, they are gradually, gradually expanding their enrichment program. Right. They're trying to act the tough guy in front of their domestic audience so that then they can come to the table. I mean, that's what I think is probably going to happen. But first, they got to stand up to the U.S. and puff out their chest and not appear weak in front of their own people. But uh, uranium's a lot like liquor. You got your 3.6 uranium, which yeah. we're talking about, which uh, it's it's like a light beer. It's mm-hmm. very refreshing, and you can make electricity with it. <laughs> yes. Then you got your, your 20% uranium. Now, that's like a, uh, well, that's like a, I don't know. Wild turkey? Reinforced wine. Like okay. a, it's like, like a port? The it's like wine? a port, yeah, yeah okay. or a brandy right. or something like that. Um, and, and you can use that for medical purposes, the uranium, or you can get uh, really drunk in a hurry. And you got to kind of choke it down because it's hot. Um, and then you got your your weapons grade uranium. Okay, that's the your Everclear. Oh. Look out! Look out! You mix it with a little uh, high C, and everybody gets crazy drunk and throws up. And that's uh, that's the stuff that uh, they're so far from that. What they've done is done is gone a little past electricity, just as a gesture. All right. All right. And again, you know, they can get up to 20, and all you can do is, like, use it to cure sick people. So that's fine. Um, We'll see where this goes. I think it's probably going to go to a solution of some sort. Um, But I don't know. I tell you what, the one thing about Donald J. that bothers me a little bit, well, there are a couple of things. And it's funny, in real life over the weekend, I was with a bunch of people who I didn't know previously. And and talk turned to politics at one point, and and they were really nice people, so I went ahead. Usually I tell people, I won't talk about politics unless I'm being paid. Because everybody gets so angry and weird, and uh, why do I want that vibe in my real life? But so anyway, but these were really nice people, and I could tell everybody was going to be calm. So we talked, and there were a bunch of Republicans there who were unanimous. Not a single one saying... 
love the policies, but he makes me nuts. And your super hardcore Trump uh, supporters don't want to hear that. But man, the guy's problematic. He'll, he'll stress you out. God, every time it seems like things are going great, he steps on his own tie. Well, because he wears it too long. But anyway, so I just Swimming. Thought, I thought that was yeah. interesting. It was a lot of people who love the judges. Yeah. They love being tough on China and trying to straighten out our trade relationship. They love being honest about the border and the rest of it. But they thought, oh, why do you shoot yourself in the foot all the time? But so anyway, um, uh, what were we talking about? Uh, trade, China, President, Iran, uh, Iran. Oh, the one thing that yeah. bothers me a little bit about Donald J is you got to be careful as yeah. president blowing up deals your predecessor made too casually because then the rest of the world thinks well why am i making a deal with this right. guy because the next guy's gonna blow it up i mean the the incredible beauty of our system and it is such an achievement in humankind and we ought to be so proud of it is that we peacefully transfer power every couple of years in the house or the senate every four years of the presidency we don't fight wars we don't have revolutions we don't have a guy trying to keep a third term we transfer power peacefully and that's a beautiful thing but if we're too casual about blowing up the predecessors agreements right. then nobody trusts us to negotiate so uh, donald j if you're listening first of all thanks for listening to the armstrong and getty show secondly be cool about that it's just it's long term you've got to be careful on an entirely different note, there are reports this morning that Russia is planning to tow a controversial floating nuclear power plant to the Arctic next month. Oh, good. It would float next to a small Arctic port town in far northeastern Russia. Now, the plant would provide electricity to settlements and companies involved in oil and natural gas drilling and gold mining. Environmental groups are saying, though, the floating nuclear power plant is a disaster waiting to happen. They're calling it Chernobyl on ice. And have glowing seals. Yes, or floating Chernobyl. After oh, this. do you hear the J- Japanese are going back to killing whales? Yeah. What the hell, Japan? Yeah. Cut it out. Come on, they need the protein. No, they don't. They're back Stop at it. it. Buy some good American beef. They're it's good back for at you. It. Look at us. We're a healthy people. Slim, attractive. <laughs> anyway, back to the Arctic. Anyway, uh, so they're they're going to be hauling it out, and uh, we will uh, see uh, what happens. A floating Chernobyl, just what we need. Oh, please. And what Although was- China, I tell you what, China's like a three-year-old. Parents, am I wrong? Testing you and testing you and testing you and testing you. Every second, trying to see if they can get away with something. Man, China's just constantly pushing. At your news. China! At your news. That's right, sir. I'm Marshall Phillips, the Armstrong and Getty Show, the conscience of the nation. We gotta get, I'm sorry, I should have reestablished this. Yes. Squawky, God bless you. That's Squawky, the American Eagle. Indeed. Chained in the control room to symbolize freedom. Uh, the hedonic treadmill. You win the lottery, you're gonna be on the hedonic treadmill. Does that mean pleasure-seeking treadmill? I've been poor, and I've been not uh, so poor. Okay. And trust me, the hedonic treadmill's a real thing. We'll tell you about it next. Okay. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. All streets and avenues are open to vehicular traffic. You are not allowed to block or impede traffic. You must vacate the roadway or proceed to the sidewalk. If you enter or 
special points to the guy uh, shouting the Darth Vader's theme from the uh, Star Wars movies there as the Portland police moved in to try to keep Antifa from smashing people's heads in uh, in the name of justice and uh, calling themselves anti-fascists, even though they're the fascists, and clashing against a couple of right-wing groups that were there to punch Antifa in the face. Uh, We warned uh, Mayor Wheeler in Portland over and over again, you tolerate political violence, you're going to get more of it. Berkeley, we're looking at you. Um, and, and they're reaping what they have sown now. Uh, who knows? Journalist Andy No got his head bashed and ended yeah. up in the hospital. And uh, I'm glad nobody's killed. That'll happen soon enough. I mean, at some point, somebody's going to think, you know, I'm tired of getting punched in the face. I'm going to shoot somebody. Then you're going to, then it's going to escalate. I tell you what, again, you, you lefty politicians don't tolerate left wing political violence. And if you're in Texas, man, or wherever, don't tolerate any violence from the Right. Although everybody condemns violence from the right. Anyway, I don't want to get off on that. I want to get onto the hedonic treadmill. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And I hope my kid straightens out her... We got her a new phone, our college student, because right. her phone's all smashed up. Right. And it, she's had it for a very long time, and she's a good kid, and she's studying hard. So, yeah, we said, we'll help you out. We'll, we'll replace your smartphone. And uh, But she was trying to, like, get signed up and converted and updated and the rest of it right. and ended up, like, making her phone my phone or my phone's her phone. And she was confused by the directions, and now I'm getting all sorts of wacky messages. Oh, oh, oh no. no. Oh, no. And I'm trying to do my work oh, last night, oh. and then I had some band stuff, some, like, administrative solving technical problems with getting music online stuff. And then I'm getting messages on my phone. Uh, you know, uh, your phone number will now be used for iMessages and, and texts and uh, where she goes to school. And I'm like... Whoa, no, 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 no. You don't get my phone number. You don't see my text. I don't see your text. This is not good. This is the worlds are colliding. So we're going to see if we can figure Where's that out. Where's the red button? Today. We need to stop right, this. We right. need to fix it. Oh, and then you can you can make an appointment for six weeks from now at the so-called genius bar or show up and wait so for four and a half hours. Able, were you able to communicate to her and say, hey, something is really wrong. I'm getting yeah. all these messages. Yeah, and she was getting discouraged and stressed. And my yeah. wife, who who is just an angel in the love of my life, but, I mean, if the garage door opener doesn't work, she gets all pissed off and stressed out and the rest right. of it. So she's in the midst of this, oh, and I'm God. trying to get it done. My stress level is just going, yep. and I just, oh, for God, said, just go back to that store. Go back to the store and tell them it doesn't work and tell them make it work. I'm going to throw, I'm going to throw this phone across the don't, no, don't do that, honey. It's brand new. <laughs> yes. uh, but, uh, yeah, go back to the store and tell them make it work for me. Gosh, dang it. Anyway, the hedonic treadmill. We're talking about winning oh, the yeah. lottery. Ah. And uh, the sweet spot is you take home $20, 30000000 million. Put that in a bank. Keep your mouth shut. Don't tell anybody. And just live off uh, your investments, and, and you can live quite well the rest of your days. But the hedonic treadmill or hedonic adaption refers to our tendency to return to a baseline level of happiness after big positive or negative life events. We've talked about this before. In fact, talked to some authorities and doctors and, 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 and uh, you know researchers about this. We all tend to have a fairly narrow range of happy that we are. You're either made by God and your parents and genetics a little edgy and a little discontent, right. or you're one of those cheery, sappy people. And I'm just jealous of you, saps. Good for you, bunch of saps. But I will tell um, you this. But, I will tell you this. In my younger days, I would reach plateaus of happiness that I do not achieve anymore. <laughs> well, yeah, th- I know that. But yeah. 
But so after a big positive or negative life right. event, you return to your baseline fairly quickly. Mm-hmm. So in the case of a lottery win, you have to plan ahead for how you'll use and invest that money to make your adjustment to your wealth as graceful and easy as possible. Um, but once the novelty of winning wears off and you've grown accustomed to your new lifestyle, life with that jackpot will stop feeling great and start feeling normal, and you'll end up wanting more out of life. Best example I ever heard of this Um there's this radio executive we used to work with. Hell of a nice guy. He ended up lying to us a bit, but that's eh, business. Um, but a, a good guy. And he had this uh, apartment. It was like 30 stories up in a certain major American city, which I will not name. There might be a bay there, a big bay. There might be an area around that bay. Uh-huh. But so anyway, this guy and yeah. his wife, they buy this apartment with these spectacular views. And uh, he said, yeah, it was about a year after it. I just... I would look out the window and think, eh, I'm looking out the window. Wow. You, you yeah. just, you, you, well, it's the... the uh, Becomes the, the norm. Hedonic adaptation. Okay. You can't be thrilled every day for years and years by something. You just can't be. We're not made to be. Gotcha. And so, yeah, after a while, he said, no, that's just what was outside. For the first time, for first quite a long time, it was like, oh, my God, can you believe this? Right. Can you believe we live here? Can Look at that. Look at that view. Oh, my God, the sunset, whatever. Um, then after a while, it's just meh. Um, it's like smelling a rose. Sniff that rose. Go ahead, sniff it. Stop and smell the roses. It's not a metaphor. Literally, smell it. It's wonderful. Then smell it again. Oh, it's very nice. So that's kind of behind. Sixty the gra- seconds later, you can't smell it at all. So our brains are made right. so that the same stimulus won't get our attention right. over and over again because there's no need for it. So no that, use for it. So that's why the grass is always greener. Actually, After a while. Well, yes. And that's a funny metaphor because that just has to do with the angle. <laughs> Trust me, as a guy who's fought lawns most, yes. of, most of my adult life, if you look at grass uh-huh. from, a, from a shallow angle, right. you don't see the bare spots. Right. It's merely a visual problem. You get on top of the grass, you're looking down at it, you can see all the flaws. So the metaphor is... Yeah, well, it works. The grass is always greener on the other side of the fence just because the view is different. Right. You step into somebody else's shoes, maybe it is a good metaphor, and you're now on top of the lawn of their life, uh-huh. you're going to see the bare spots. You're going to see the dandelions. In order to balance, you're going to see the dog poop. In order to <laughs> yes. balance out the hedonic treadmill, I'm going to get an abstentious hammock. That's a good idea. Whatever that is. It's a, it's a hammock with the opposite of a hedonic in front of it. <laughs> Have you been on the dictionary again? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Abstentious. <laughs> I told you to stay off the dictionary. Final thoughts with A-N-G. Yeah! Let's get some final thoughts. Here's your host, me, Joe Getty. Hey, Michelangelo, they're in the uh, control room. What's your final thought? Yeah, Donald Trump irritated Kim Jong-un by repeating the same joke, that's what she said, over and over again. Oh, Went on for 40 minutes, got really old. That's poor diplomacy. Marshall Phillips, your final thought. I got to tell you something. I am proud of all of us. We made it through, I would say, uh, very sauna-like conditions here in the studio this morning. Yeah, it's a little steamy. Yes. A little steamy in here. Uh, positive Sean, final thought? Yeah, I've been digging into learning more about various philosophers, not just the the, the stars of the, the Plato's and the Socrates, and I want to tell you about a, a gentleman I learned by the name of Diogenes, who would walk around in broad daylight with a lamp, and when asked why he's walking with a lamp in broad daylight, he said, I'm looking for an honest man. And I respect nice. that. <laughs> I love Diogenes. Interesting fella. His words live on. Uh, Jack is sick. I hope he'll be back tomorrow. Unless he's really sick, then I hope he stays home. 
Oh, boy. My final thought is fix the dang air conditioning. You know what? This is the first world. Even commies have air conditioning. Yes. I mean, you got to be in Venezuela. You got to be a failed state at this point in history not to have it. The slums of Calcutta. Well, probably in the slums they don't have air conditioning, but those are slums. Right. If I wanted to live in a slum, I'd be in a slum. All right, so many people to thank. So little time. Armstrong and Getty wrapping, another, uh, wrapping up another grueling four-hour workday. Go to armstrongandgetty.com. You can email us. If there's something we ought to be talking about, send it along. Y'all are great at that. Mailbag at armstrongandgetty.com. See you tomorrow. God bless America. This is a historic act uh, of uh, devastating incompetence. I will not sugarcoat this. This is a disappointing day for us. Big mistake, but not too bad. The fun level in this room is at an 11 right now, and that brought it down. The ride is over. The time for the clowns and the acrobats and the dancing bears has passed. Get away from here. Get. Get. And we apologize for our stupidity, and we really hope you forgive us for what we've done. Thank you, and good night. Because the show's over. What? Bye-bye. Down by the seaside, Marianne. Armstrong and Getty.